You're listening to the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. And over the course of the next few minutes, you can expect this from the Monaco GP preview. Firstly, we're going to discuss what's different this year in Monaco and what are the challenges of the circuit and whether the longer cars could actually make it a big, big problem. Also, the weather. Could we see three teams fighting for pole position? Are the team order situation at Red Bull Racing sorted out? And apart from that, we've got two special segments. Firstly, one from F1 Stats Guru, who's going to bring us a stats preview of the Monaco Grand Prix. And secondly, a new one from Aditya Bhatt, the Instagram sensation, who's been setting the platform alight by explaining all the challenges of Formula One technically on his Instagram reel. So, all of this and more from this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. Let's begin. Hey folks, welcome back in. My name is Samuel Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar and I'm joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team. And Kunal, we've all heard this narrative of Monaco being super special, being super glamorous. But for the modern generation, many might look at Monaco and say, Monaco, oh no, but... It, there is that charm, isn't it? Because even though it might not have been the most entertaining race to watch at, just the glamour of it, just the celebrities that arrive, just the expensiveness of the entire weekend, this place is just unlike any other. And I get a feeling that 2022 might be pretty exciting at the end of the day. I see what you've done there, Somal. By saying for the new generation, you've already made me a part of the older generation who believes that Monaco <laughs> is absolutely the crown jewel of Formula One. And guys, for everybody who has a hangover still from Miami, here's a circuit where there's a real marina with some real water in there. Okay, and it's been there Correct. around for a long, <laughs> long time. And you mentioned, you know, the whole glamour and the glitz angle of Monaco. There's another part to it, which is history. Literally every inch, or since we're in motorsport, every millimeter of that racetrack is soaked in history. Okay, it's one of those five Grand Prix circuits that has been around ever since even Formula One started. So it's even before all the older generations that uh, go back that I stand from Sawmill as well. So to me, it's, you know, another comparison. Formula One had to hype up Miami just so much because, of course, it was a debut. You know, it was the first time they're having a second, hopefully successful race in America. And I say hopefully because I'm talking of in the buildup. But guess what? This is Monaco. It doesn't need even half as much hype just because it is Monaco. And the parties there at Monaco Canal, surely, right, they have to be the best because I've heard a couple of stories of about the, about the parties on the Indian Empress back when you were in Force India. The Indian Empress, of course, being Vijay Malia's yacht back in the day. And were the parties really unlike the parties anywhere else? No, absolutely not. You'd hear the same Indian Bhangra music uh, on the on the Indian Empress as well. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, those were. I mean, that those were grand days. I would say of the first India Formula One team. We had some iconic parties out there, and uh, I think you know visiting Monaco was definitely one of those highlights of my Force India career. I would say because we were on the yacht pretty much all the time. And, you know, there is another different charm about Monaco. It surprises me that they've actually cramped in so much 
to host a Grand Prix. I mean, look at what the teams actually go through, right? Apart from knowing that there could, uh, you know, there could be stoppage at any time, which is why they need to be prepared at every second, right? Uh, you know, there are multi-storied garages, literally. They are so cramped up, hmm. all of them. Uh, the I know the spares and the trucks are parked elsewhere, for example. So just the the logistical challenge of Monaco itself is is something that's not been... Uh, talked about as much but i think that in itself is is pretty brilliant because teams are used to lots of spaces especially all these still drums you know they're designed around pit buildings sometimes literally like i remember <laughs> so many countries you go to abu dhabi you go to uh, you go to singapore you go to of course singapore not as much but you know you go to turkey for example you even go to the Buddha international circuit in india there is so much space out there right but you come to monaco teams have the same operations in probably one third of the space or one fourth of the space as you may and any any extra square yard of real estate might end up costing just as much as their front wing so they can't really afford that a bit too much especially in the budget cap era but it's crazy the, the history that monaco carries but there's one piece of history that's going to be changing this year kunal we're not going to have the schedule of thursday free practice Friday breaks, Saturday qualifying and Sunday race. In fact, this year, the sun, the Thursday free practice is gone. It's just going to be Friday free practice now, just like all the other normal weekends, because if one wanted to save costs, and in this era, I think it kind of makes sense to do so. But overall, this year's Monaco GP could be very, very exciting. I get this feeling. Even though, of course, the cars are now longer than ever, because we're seeing this amazing battle at the top between Leclerc and Verstappen, it becomes more about the qualifying lap. And my word, qualifying is going to be so exciting on Saturday. Yes, Samuel, you know, you said Monaco is a treat. And I think Monaco's most especially is a qualifying treat because putting a qualifying lap around the streets of Monaco is probably one of the hardest things that a Formula One driver ends up doing. And if, you know, if Barcelona is anything to go by, especially Sector 3 in Barcelona, it could be, uh, you know, a three-way three-way team battle for qualifying honors, and maybe even a Haas, maybe even an Alfa Romeo into into the mix come qualifying. So, yes, you know, Monaco is such that Saturday ends up having, uh, you know, more interest than Sunday more often than not. But you know, you've been mentioning about the cars, and another thing that will happen in Monaco is the teams don't really bring any new upgrades. They just optimize their packages hmm. as they are, right? Because they, they literally give away all the aerodynamic stuff uh, that they would add to the cars and optimize on the mechanical abilities of the cars because a quick way around Monaco needs you to actually have confidence as a driver in what's underneath you, right? So that's going to be another challenge. And, you know, we're in this whole ground effects era of Formula One. How the drivers even tackle the curbs in Monaco is going Correct. to change. Because, you know, if you tackle them too hard, you may end up damaging the floor. And the floor is where a lot of your performance is actually generated, Samuel. Kunal, what if I mean the run after the casino square? I mean, we all know about the big root of a big root of a tree over there, right? It's such a bumpy thing that drivers tend to avoid it. What if you accidentally go over it and end up damaging the floor? What about the hairpin? What if you end up going on the curb there to make a move and end up damaging your floor? There's just so much that can happen. And one thing that's been making me very curious about Monaco and ground effect cars is manhole covers. 
imagine, right? I mean, we've spent so much of time back in the day watching the Formula One broadcasts at Monaco and hearing the commentators speak about manhole covers, just like Mr. Steve Slater said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. But with ground effect cars, that's going to be very interesting. Do they just suck them up completely? What happens in that case? Because these cars are, of course, closer to the ground, but it's very, very exciting. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to driver confidence. And in, and in qualifying, Kunal, weather could also end up playing a major role because we're hearing reports that it could be rainy, especially on Sunday. Now, I don't know about you, but that's just a very, very good sign for a good Monaco GP because imagine rain at Monaco. I think 1982 springs up to mind and that was one of the most exciting Monaco GPs ever where the lead, I think, changed hands six times in the last five odd laps. It was just tremendous stuff. Or even 1996, Mr. Olivier Panis is Correct. only win in, in Formula 1, starting 14th. And I believe there were just three cars that finished that race. So, Monaco ground effect cars with rain is absolutely going to be epic. And I know that the rain will come at certain parts uh, of the Grand Prix weekend. Uh, when I say I know, I mean I'm reading the radar. I'm no rain god here. But I really hope it comes at the right times, if you guys know what I mean. And Maybe a lot of us need to do the rain dance, rain dance when the time is is right as well, Samir. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Oh, it's crazy, but with Monaco, the rain just makes it harder for the challenge because, as we've discussed, there's such a big, such a big fight for space here at Monaco, especially, which makes me wonder how exactly do the drivers tend to tackle this place? And in fact, how will they end up tackling it with these cars that are now longer and wider than ever before? And now, yes, that could mean that overtaking is more of an issue. We shall come to that in a second. But doesn't this mean that it's the biggest challenge that drivers have in the last decade, essentially, Kunal? Because now there's just even less a margin for error as if there already was quite a fair bit previously. You know, you actually nailed the nailed the, the uh, you nailed it just as you should, Samuel. Because Monaco actually is to be enjoyed for the challenges it throws up on the driver and how drivers actually rise to the occasion. So yes, it may not be as entertaining as as pretty much all or pretty much you know the last race we had in Spain, for example. But just to see the drivers what they will end up doing, uh, you know, throughout the weekend in itself is very fascinating. A lot of drivers are saying, Lewis Hamilton, he said it's actually a mental challenge to drive in Monaco because you're at those speeds in these cars so close to the barriers. Sebastian Vettel has turned around and said that these cars, these being the ground effect cars, are going to be a physical challenge to drive in Monaco, right? And, you know, Esteban Ocon has been quoted saying, uh, these are like go-karts. Now imagine Monaco is literally a very glorified go-kart circuit because that's what you get at a lot of rental go-kart circuits. You don't get any runoff areas, right? So, you know, for drivers, uh, lots of exciting uh, times in the car. It's, they're going to absolutely relish it. And uh, Mercedes has said um, up to 52 gear changes per lap is what they're going to go through, right? And for the teams, you know, race strategy is very, very important, especially the undercut could be very powerful. So they need to be, you know, they need to be acing their race uh, strategy as well, Samuel. Uh, and then most importantly, uh, you know, before we go on to what the drivers actually will go through in terms of a massive driving challenge, uh, you know, we see a lot of times in Formula One, something we are fascinated by, the drivers driving and is adjusting knobs and settings and the, the engineers are saying what to do. Uh, but in Monaco, that challenge is that much more amplified because there is literally no room for error. So teams and drivers want to leave the garage or want to start their hot laps or, you know, their the, the laps that matter 
with the correct settings as well. Yeah, absolutely. And think of the job with the race engineers, right? Because constantly they are kept on their toes to worry about where exactly they should speak to the driver. And often the driver says, talk to me on the straights. And over here, there's barely any straights, right? So where do you talk to the driver? It's it's really confusing because at any time, any radio message can be so distracting, especially in the third sector. And speaking of challenges, we've got this fun little segment for you. Remember at the start, I told you about Aditya Bhatt, the guy who's explaining the technical side of F1 extremely well on Instagram Reels? Well, he's right here on the Inside Line F1 podcast, and he's going to be explaining the specific challenges that all the teams and drivers do face in Monaco. And that's regarding the steering angles. Listen to him. Aditya Bhatt here, it's the Monaco weekend of course and I want to take you through some technical steering challenges around the track, especially the middle sector and especially at the Grand Hotel Hairpin. You see, for most of the F1 season, drivers have both their hands snugly gripped on the steering wheel, the rubber grips of the steering being moulded to their hands because you need that good grip when you're throwing an F1 car around a corner at 200 kph. But in Monaco, things start getting a bit uh, different. Even before arriving at the hairpin, let's look at turn 5, Mirabeau. You've got that little bump in the middle of the road going into Mirabeau, so quick right to avoid that, but quickly steering back onto the left-hand side of the track, always breaking in a straight line, of course. It's tricky breaking into Mirabeau because it's downhill and the track sort of falls away from you, so it's a delicate act of carrying speed while not having to brake with as much pressure and also not locking the front wheels on corner entry. The exit out of Mirabeau is crucial for entry into the hairpin because the driver has to stay as close to the right-hand side wall as possible because that's where you get the most turning radius to get around the hairpin and my god, do you need that turning radius? If you watch onboard footage of F1 cars at 0.5x speed like I do, you notice that even before coming into the hairpin, they're getting ready to get that left hand out of the way. Because for the hairpin, it's not just enough to put full lock on the steering wheel. The left hand is out of the way, the right hand is almost on top of the steering wheel, just in case it needs to be pushed down just that little more left, a bit more steering input to get around the hairpin. Some drivers keep the left hand at least partially on and turn the wheel with both hands, but most of them get the left hand fully out of the way, but then you've got to be quick to bring both hands into position as you're out of the hairpin. You take a bit of curbing right into turn 7, but careful not too much that you're onto the pavement. A few different lines turning into turn 8, Portier, there's a classic make it as wide as possible, or just dive in, trusting the grip and you'll carry speed. And off you go into the darkness of the Monaco Tunnel. I hope you enjoyed this little insight into the challenges of getting around some of the slowest corners in Formula 1. And I hope you enjoy the Monaco Grand Prix weekend. I've been Aditya Bhatt at butt.tech on Instagram and I will see you soon. Aha, now, that's that's a thought that I didn't quite think about initially, Kunal, no? Because the lows happen, it's extremely tight and I wonder things would be exactly the same. But it's good to hear Aditya's take on exactly what teams do. And, and this sort of insight is kind of unparalleled in a way. I don't think we've heard a lot about this previously. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and watch all those onboards at 0.5x speed because I'm fascinated by what Aditya has actually just said that even before they get to the hip and they let go of their left hand and then, you know, we've, we've seen them literally go around and these big, long, wide cars, I'm excited to see how they sort of tackle the hip and which we know is the slowest corner in Formula One style. Yeah, slow by some margin. But I want to talk about Charles Leclerc here for a second because 
we're in Monaco. It's it's so many minutes into this episode. I suppose it's the perfect time to bring him in because over the last few years, I'm sure you all know about his poor form. I'm not going to call it a curse. I don't think it's a curse in any way. It's only a curse if you believe it is a curse, right? But it's been a terrible run of form nonetheless. And if if the topic is on luck, I hope he's kind of shedded his luck away in the whole Monaco historic masters crash canal because things have really been going downhill and many are saying that probably he's shedded his bad luck in Barcelona as well. Because if you look at it this way, I think the signs are just so, so correct and, and they're so bright in terms of a Leclerc win in Monaco because the car seems to be performing better than ever. He's driving better than ever. If anything, this could be the time. Uh, could it be finally? Or is this one streak that kind of never ends, unfortunately? I think you've jinxed it, Samuel. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> Come on, don't make me the culprit for it. (laughs) Well, everybody is hoping for what you're hoping for, which is Charles doing well at home, finally finishing a race at home, having a clean race at home. But God knows what's going to happen come uh, Sunday. You know, we're planning a Charles Leclerc uh, Misfortunes in Monaco series for our TV show. And we've literally decided to wait till after qualifying is over <laughs> to see if the fortune uh, has, you know, to, 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 to make sure that the, the misfortune doesn't hit in qualifying. So, you know, there we have it. It's going to be really epic to see him do that, to see him sort of take the battle to Max Verstappen, because we don't know if the upgrades have worked yet, right? Because in Spain, yeah. he had a failure before the failure. Max had that gust of wind that took him away. Uh, so we don't know if the upgrades have actually worked or how close is uh, Ferrari to Red Bull. The assumption is that Red Bull is still the quicker car, but reliability will always come into play because as you would remember from the Spanish Grand Prix pre- the review episode, all of the three top teams actually had reliability issues uh, you know, in the last race just a few days ago, Samuel. So I'm just wondering, right, considering reliability, considering everything that's gone wrong for Ferrari, I think it's best to take that one excuse for a DNF out. Let's actually play a small game for a second here. What do you think is going to be the way in which Leclerc DNFs on Sunday? If, of course, he does, just for fun, that is. No, I don't mean to put any bad intentions on him, but I'm saying, Kunal, uh, crash into back. What do you reckon? Just, just, just for fun. You know, or maybe a manhole cover disrupting his car? I really hope not that. That's really scary <laughs> for everybody around. But, uh, well, you know, there's this whole talk of, uh, you know, uh, how Charles is acting Schumacher-esque, uh, you know, gelling the team together and and so on. You know, he's, especially after the, the retirement he had in Spain. Who knows? If he'll do a ra- La Rascas, you don't, you never know. I mean, oh. not purposely, but he could just end up, you know, going there. And I really hope it's not a repeat at the swimming pool complex, which is where he's normally had his offs before. But you know, above all else, all jokes aside, uh, I, I'm I'm hoping that every uh, top team driver is able to carry the confidence and give us that you know qualifying shootout, which is what you know monaco is literally known for i'm excited to see how closely matched the top three teams are and then of course you know botas and mcmusen and could it be mick schumacher you know q three second time in a row in monaco and then sort of goes and scores his points at a race where his father scored his first ever pole position if i remember correctly 
Exactly. Who knows what could happen? But let's actually get to the midfield in depth in a second. I just want to say, well, maybe Leclerc has already practiced for the Rascas in the Monaco Masters, considering the way he crashed out over there. But again, just just a joke that one. But actually, let's move on to better things than that joke. Let's actually move on to the stats preview by Sundaram. Again, this segment is back after a long, long time. We had Sundaram back here for the last race in Barcelona. It's great to have him here once again. Let's listen to some really fun stats courtesy of F1 Stats Guru. Let's check it out. Hey folks, it's time to do a stats preview of the Monaco Grand Prix with me, Sundaram Ramaswamy. A lot of you know me as the F1 stats guru on the internet. Now let's talk numbers of Monaco because whenever we talk about this particular circuit, there's always a lot of buzz, a lot of chatter about everything that goes around. There's also an argument that's been going on on the internet if this track really warrants a place on the F1 calendar. It's a valid argument because there's a lot of data that supports this. Now, 68% of all the races at Monaco have been won from the front row. And that's from the very fact that this track is very narrow and there are very limited overtaking opportunities on offer. So qualifying higher up becomes very important. How important? No driver from the in the last 25 years has won from below third on the grid. The last one to do was do that was Olivier Panis in that very chaotic 1996 race where just three drivers finished across uh, the finish line. And uh, another important one for for the very recent ones, uh, recent races, is that the last three Monaco Grand Prix have each seen just one race leader throughout. It was Daniel Ricciardo in 2018, Lewis Hamilton in 2019, and Max Verstappen in 2021. And my favorite stat is the one of average overtakes, because since the start of the hybrid era in 2014 up until 2016, where cars were slightly shorter and a bit more narrower back then, we saw an average of 11.66 overtakes at Monaco. But 2017 onwards, when we've had longer cars, a bit more wider cars, the number of average overtakes drastically dips to just 2.75 to date. And that's why I say that it's a very valid argument. But a lot of people tend to say that the higher the number of overtakes, the better the racing spectacle. And it's I would say it's a kind of a misconception uh, in a sense, because if you remember the, the Miami Grand Prix, where there were a lot of overtakes, many of which were even missed on the broadcast, the racing wasn't the best, I would say. So it's very important to understand that when we, the buzz about Monaco is always because it's a very special track. It's a, it's a prestigious track, probably the most prestigious track out there. And this, this track has a special place in F1 history. That's why it, it, it's a, it has a lot of exemptions as well when it comes to uh, race distance or even the minimum track length. Things are done very differently in Monaco. So Monaco isn't just about pure speed and overtaking. A lot of it also depends on qualifying higher up and also a lot of it depends on the sort of tie strategy and pit strategy that you have because like we saw last year, the overcut has a very good advantage. So it's always about, it's also about strategy that, and you have to keep that in mind. Now, the legendary track that Monaco is, the leaderboard is still adorned by some of the all-time F1 greats. We have seen Lewis Hamilton breaking a lot of records off lately, but this track, the leaderboard seems, has a very feel-good, nice factor about it because Ayrton Senna still leads the way in terms of most poles and wins at this track. And then there's literally all the legends up there. There's Graham Hill, there's Michael Schumacher, there's Alan Prost, Jackie Stewart, Jim Clark, and even Juan Manuel Fangio all up there. From the modern grades, Lewis Hamilton has won three races here and from in terms of poles, Alonso, Ricardo and Hamilton have two poles each. 
Now, if you're talking about Monaco, we definitely have to talk about one particular person in particular, one particular person that is Charles Leclerc. It's his home race. And everyone knows that he has a bit of a bad, he has some bad luck at this particular track because he's not one, he's not, he's not finished the race in his last five outings over here. And it's a very important race for him as well, because he's just lost the championship lead to Max Verstappen. So this becomes that race where he has the opportunity to stamp some authority, finish the race first of all, probably take the win and regain the championship lead. So let's see how that goes about. And I hope he has a incident-free race at Monaco this time around. But there are two people in particular I would like to talk about who absolutely relish the, the prospect of driving around Monte Carlo. The first one is Leclerc's teammate, Carlos Sainz. He absolutely loves here. He absolutely loves driving around this track. He's made it to Q3 every single time and he scored points on every occasion he's driven around here. Uh, he, his joint best finish in Formula 1 was when he uh, came P2 at last year's race behind Max Verstappen. And the other person is Sebastian Vettel. Now, he's not had the best start to, to his F1 season this year. And it was also the case last year. But I remember saying this stat last year as well, because this is that time of the year where this uh, we're coming to those tracks where, which Sebastian Vettel prefers and has some very good performances in his uh, overall in his career. So Vettel has been around uh, in the sport since 20, 2007 and his first full season was in 2008. Since then, He's finished the Monaco Grand Prix on 11 occasions and on each occasion he's finished in the top five. I didn't think it would happen last year and he actually finished in the top five last year. Let's see if we can do that this year as well. That was the stats preview of the Monaco Grand Prix with me, Sundaram. If you want to check out my stats and facts, you can follow me on Instagram as F on F1 Stats Group. I'll see you guys soon. And Kunal, I think... The one stat from this stats preview by Sundaram that really stands out for me is the average overtakes one because things have drastically gone down. And before we talk about the midfield, I think it's a real point of concern, right? Entertainment in the race. I I think it's going to be harder, but it's not just the overtakes that make a good race, do they? It's actually not the overtakes. It's just the, just the ability to fight, you know, the fight uh, coming out of the... Uh, you know, going into the going into the hairpin, coming out of the of the tunnel and and various places, Lara's cars. Could it be Saint Devot, the you know corner one? Could it be strategy that sort of comes in? And uh, I think what also ends up making Monaco a lot of fun. And maybe this is I'm not being sadistic out here, but a slow driver finding himself out of place and holding all the quicker ones up because that's usually <laughs> where a lot of fun happens. You know, teams trying to think on their feet, trying different strategy. And, you know, you can't really just end up pitting in Monaco the way you'd probably end up pitting at another circuit because you never know if you're going to come back, rejoin the queue again and not sort of find your way to the front. Let me guess. Would we put that driver to be Nicholas Ladifi this time out, Kunal? Maybe? No? Oh, hang on a minute. That reminds me. Uh, Let's just do this, right? Do we think that Latifi is going to crash this time out? I I know it's a very, very bad thing to do. You shouldn't kind of wish wish that upon anyone else. But just just because we're on this mission here today, Latifi to crash at at the swimming pool? I I think I I give the odds to be 60%, maybe? No? Well... I don't know. I just, I just hope it's a safe race, and I hope uh, not a lot of safety car inter- interruptions. 
but you know beyond a point i'm not that big a fan of latifi right but unfortunately what's also happening and this is just after our stats uh, preview that's come from sundaram is mick schumacher has taken the same number of races as nicolas latifi did to not have scored his first points in formula 1 Aww. so i think mick is probably going to overtake uh that stat in uh, in monaco this weekend if he doesn't score but some Lovely. of that actually tells me mick schumacher is definitely one of the key drivers on my eight sleep list of drivers in focus absolutely mick schumacher being the one for you and as you discussed early on just the pressure of him scoring points this weekend has to be huge because there's this big fight with Kevin Magnussen he has to win the inter team battle but you know what the driver that I'm going to go for Kunal for this particular list is going to be Carlos Sainz because he's traditionally had a decent record at Monaco mind you last year he ended up on the podium and had a wonderful wonderful race of course the qualifying lap kind of helped out and of course the crash by his teammate helped out quite a fair bit but he's a potent force over here and currently he's just lacking all the confidence but with ferrari doing well i i get a feeling that he could be in the mix but at monaco the most important thing is confidence and unfortunately signs lacks that at this particular point of time he's in fact come out and said that he doesn't feel as comfortable in the car as leclerc does so that's going to be a big worry for ferrari it is and that's right he's been very honest about his struggles in in that uh, ferrari and uh, talking of honesty another uh, team boss who actually has been very honest and open pretty much for the first time i would say uh, has been zack brown when he used the word disappointed when it came to daniel ricardo because god alone knows what's happening to daniel ricardo in that mclaren i think i said the pretty much the same thing in the spanish gp uh, you know review as well but yes ricardo as well uh, has to be in uh, you know has to be in that list of uh, drivers in focus uh, that we have sponsored by eight sleep somal absolutely and with lando norris hopefully feeling better um, and that's just going to be an even bigger challenge right because norris was just so good last week and even though he had a bit of a bit of an illness i mean what is going to happen if he is perfectly in form because remember norris last year also a podium sitter but now I've got to ask you a really big question Kunal who else do you reckon is going to be the driver to focus on because I I get a feeling that Yuki Tsunoda and Pierre Gasly are going to be very very interesting because unknowingly we haven't quite focused much on it but Yuki Tsunoda has been absolutely bossing this battle of course he's not been out qualifying Gasly as much but in the races this kamikaze style of his is paying off and Gasly has been beaten for the last 3 races in a row so he's getting better but he's just not in our point of view I and mean, not in our field of vision i think would be the better term to use for this so with the ultimate drivers test coming for alpha tauri this is going to be a fun weekend to check who actually is the better driver now yeah i think gasly is also in that same position as alonso a fair bit of bad luck going his way but uh, to see yuki doing the the heavy lifting while gasly isn't is definitely uh, you know a shine of uh, a show of progress i would say because uh, come you know if you just go back 12 months he was probably not in the position to do that it was either gasly scoring or gasly not but here it's like gasly scoring or gasly not yuki's ending up you know finding himself scoring as well so pierre gasly again you know 
uh, a very crucial uh, race for him. He's done so much in their Alpha Tauri before that he's got a bit of a buffer, unlike, say, Daniel Ricciardo, you know, where that win in Monza is a long, long time ago, and there's been pretty much nothing special after that, right? So uh, clearly, uh, you know, Gasly is on that list. And, you know, you have to put the the Aston Martin drivers on it as well. You know, what will the green uh, Red Bull end up doing uh, around the streets of Monaco, uh, you know, and and you know it's it's an important race for Red Bull. They're also bringing the energy station, so I don't know if the Aston Martin, uh, you know, uh, if the Aston Martin guys have a green energy station that they're going to bring uh, to the race. Honestly, <laughs> it's their spiritual home, isn't it? I think the pit crew just for this weekend should be wearing tuxedos because Aston Martin, Monaco, James Bond, you get all the Casino Royale feels in this particular weekend for them. But yeah, I think. They're more than copycats, right? I suppose, I hope they get a chance to maybe maximize their car this weekend. But I want to talk about Valtteri Bottas in this list as well, Kunal, because at at Mercedes, he's never quite had the best qualifying record here at Monaco, which again is the most crucial thing, unless you crash out on Sunday. But here with Alfa Romeo, who's been qualifying exceptionally well so far this year, I'm just very keen to see, can he do something better than what he did at Mercedes with an Alfa Romeo this time out? That's going to be fun. And Alfa Romeo is actually touted to be uh, a very quick car this weekend. Of course, this is before even a single lap has been driven around the circuit, but it's purely based on the qualifying performance or rather the the, the single lap performance that Alfa Romeo showed uh, mm. on the Sector 3 in Barcelona, Sommel. So I would love to see Bottas. It's such a, a refreshing delight to see him doing what he's doing with so much ease, no pressure on him. And just, you know, also seeing Sauber, you know, the guys who run Alfa Romeo do so well because Sauber has been such a legendary team all along, Samuel. Exactly. But it's such a small outfit when when you compare it to Ferrari and Mercedes and the likes that extracting good performances from a limited budget becomes such a hard task and they're doing so, so well this year. I just hope they're able to compete and keep up in the development war. But at the end of the day, this isn't this a home race for most of the F1 drivers, Kunal? Bottas, Hamilton, Norris, Verstappen. Uh, I suppose Ricciardo also has a flat in Monaco. This this probably is F1's home race. And I kind of just remember that 24 minutes into the episode, isn't it? So it's you, of course, Charles Leclerc as well. He is he is Monegasque. The others have sort of gone and lived in Monaco <laughs> after they've earned all the money. But that's interesting because Formula One's home race is Silverstone, given that it's a European yeah. sport, so to say. But Liberty Media's home race is, of course, all the races that happen in America. But for the drivers, it's pretty much Monaco where they're currently staying or a race where they actually sort of grew up, uh, you know, for example, Gasly in France or... You guys know the nationality of the drivers. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a home race. Like Albin said, you know, I, I live three minutes away, walking distance from the paddock. And I think that's, that's a refreshing uh, change for them as well. Exactly. So, will it be a home driver that takes the win this time out, Kunal? Who is your pick for? I mean, I've kind of, uh, I haven't narrowed it down much, haven't I? Because I think the only driver who doesn't quite, only drivers who don't quite stay in Monaco in the top six are just essentially, uh, what is it, Perez and Sainz, isn't it? So, and, and they already don't seem like they are going to ever get the chance to win. So that's a bit of a silly question, but whatever. <laughs> well, who are your predictions for this weekend? I'm going to go for Max Verstappen, actually, for both qualifying and the race. Wow. I'm going to go for Max Verstappen as well. I think that momentum he's built is pretty fantastic. And, you know, just let's look at the numbers. Out of 86 points, 
in the last three races, he scored 85 of them, right? Wow. And Red Bull Racing, uh, you know, they have, uh, of course, had Checo Perez score as well. So uh, they, I think, scored from 147 points that were available. They scored 140. And I think Max has overcome a 52-point deficit, a swing in 52 points over Charles in the last uh, few races, which is also where ruling out George Russell from the title battle isn't uh, isn't fair just yet because I think that gap yeah. is just 36 points. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm relishing it. I'd love for Mercedes to suddenly come out, uh, you know, and, and be front-running, uh, be outside bets for the title if they are not eligible for the title battle because it's too late in the season. Could they still end up winning races and spoil the title battle between, say, uh, you know, Leclerc, Verstappen, and Red Bull and Ferrari? I mean, it's 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 so exciting. You know, they're going to be like, you know, no holds barred. You know, more to uh, more to win than to lose kind of approach by Red Bull, uh, by Mercedes, and I would love for that. Yeah, and with the last generation of cars, Mercedes weren't quite great in Monaco. But again, it seems to be a mystery, right? As you said, looking at Barcelona Sector 3, they could well be in the fight. And let's hope for the same, actually, because we can't just wait for the for a really good Monaco GP. It's not been happening for a very, very long time. I mean, a good Monaco GP. The Monaco GP has been happening for a long time. But I hope this is entertaining. I hope this is really, really fun. And I hope that you found this episode to be very entertaining as well, folks. And if you did, you know the deal. Leave a like, leave a subscribe, share a good rating, and all the rest but folks thank you for watching thank you for listening and we shall see you for the Monaco GP preview episode review episode I'm sorry in a few days bye bye